It's emotional to be back. Um, In the words of Chris, it is so good to be home. It is so good to see your faces, and I've been anticipating this Sunday for several weeks now, and I'm so thankful to have been invited with all the communicators, all my brothers and sisters, including Jill, who's speaking today here at Southlake, at every service, at every campus of the Hills. Um, It's an incredibly diverse and unique group of people who are bringing messages at our church, and man, I'm so thankful just to be a part of that. Um, As Chris said, I had the privilege of serving here as a worship minister for many years. It was almost seven years, and I just want to remind you and tell you that it was a treasure to my life, not only my ministry life, but to my personal life, to get to know you, to get to love you, to get to walk in Christ with you, and it's so great to be back. Larissa and I have missed y'all so much, and I do want to say, I want to start off by apologizing because whenever I left, I made it sound like I was going to be back visiting all the time and I hadn't followed through on that. And so I want to apologize. But a part of the reason that it's been hard to get back is because we've been busy. We've been raising this beautiful boy that you're going to see on the screen. This is our first child, Lincoln Joe Cabrera. And um, man, he is strong. Um, We already see the strength of the Lord in him. He has his mom's good looks, as you can tell. This is him laughing with mom. And he also has some of dad's musical interests. The the last picture is kind of our favorite picture. And I'll tell you, I could could stand here and just keep this picture up the rest of the time. And then we could just have a closing prayer and that would be fine with me. (laughs) Because I love seeing this boy. You know, being a dad, being a first time dad has given me new and greater perspective of myself. Uh, Being a first-time dad has given me new and greater perspective of my father, who I'm thankful is here today to hear me bring the message. Being a first-time dad has given me greater perspective of my heavenly father. And so when I received the invitation to come bring a message to you, I knew I had to bring a message to you about the love of the father. The love of the Father. Our key text today is going to be uh, from 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And I know you've kind of been up and down a little bit already, but I want to invite you this morning um, in reverence for the Word of God. I'm going to read it over you, but in reverence for the Word of God, would you stand as we read this text today? 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28, it says, And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Before you sit down, let me just pray over us really quick. Father, we thank you for your word, and we stand in reverence for your holy word, God. We want to be children who better know the Father so that we can live a different life. Father, we come into this building not just to have a habit of faith, but to have lives that are changed and transformed. And God, I'm here just for even one person who needs to know the love of the Father in a greater way than what they came in knowing. God, we come to you by the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. 
You know, my dad always championed a sense of courage and adventure in me. And honestly, both of my parents, my mom and my dad, they always encouraged me to shoot for my dreams and to believe that anything is possible. But it was my dad who was my first hero. And along with being my first hero, he introduced me to my first heroes, one of which was David and the story of David and Goliath. I love the story of David and Goliath, and I would, I would grow up to love the story of King David, but I first loved David in the slingshot, and this was definitely a dangerous time if you knew me when I was about three or four because I was trying to figure out how to do like an old-school slingshot and sling it. So anybody within 30 yards of me, it was just a real dangerous situation. The, the second hero that my dad introduced me to, though, was maybe one of my favorites was Batman. Man, I wanted to be Batman so bad, and, and David has a slingshot, but Batman has the belt. Batman has all the tools. Batman has all the gadgets. He goes out in the night to get the, the thieves and the bandits and the bad guys. He has the mask. But maybe my favorite thing about Batman is Batman has action scenes, right? Have you ever seen the movie or seen the cartoon? Batman jumps off of buildings. Batman skydives out of planes. Batman jumps out of moving vehicles. Batman has action scenes. And so I remember this time that me and my brother, uh, my brother Landon and, and, and my dad, we were in a truck. And it was one of those old trucks that it's a single cab truck and it just has a single vinyl seat that runs across the whole cab. Some of y'all remember those kind of trucks. So we're in this truck and we're, uh, we're headed somewhere and we're headed to my, grand, my grandparents' house. And I'm sitting in the middle and my brother Landon, who's younger, sitting on the edge. And Landon, he's just playing with the door. Right? He's just asking for trouble. I mean, I think he has a seatbelt on. Who knows? It's Alabama. We don't know. He's, he's playing, with the, playing with the door. And eventually Landon gets it to come loose. And so my dad says, Luke, go over there and shut the door. Well, by the time I get around Landon and get to the door, because of the way the road was turning, my dad had to take a left turn. And when he took that left turn, luckily I had grabbed onto the door, but I go out of the truck, hanging onto the door handle, and my feet, I remember I had, I had some boots on. I remember looking down at my feet while I was being dragged and my feet were scraping on the road. And of course, my dad brings the truck to a stop. I check and see, okay, I, th I think I'm all right. My dad hurries around quick and he goes, yeah, I think you're all right. And then we look at each other with our eyes and go, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I just had my first action scene. I mean, I, I, I'm saying, Dad, you got to get on the phone with Michael Keaton because whenever I get to the height requirement for the Batman suit, I'm it. I'm it. And we're driving back, and I'm looking over at my brother smirking the whole drive back home, and I'm thinking, yeah, bro, you see that? Yeah, I'm, I'm an action star. I mean, I'll probably be headed to Hollywood soon. I was in it, but the story isn't over there because the destination was grandparents' house. And at grandparents' house was mom. At grandparents' house, I think my Aunt Kelly might have been there. And when I went into the house and we told them the story, their reaction wasn't as pumped. <laughs> in fact, I remember very clearly them circling around me, and I saw the fear that they had for what had happened. And what was once courage in me became fear. And I remember very clearly, I thought about this day many times after, that I wept, I cried. I wanted to tell you that story because I think back on that and I realize fear was something that I learned, but fear was not something that I learned from my father. Children of God, I want to ask you, have you been navigating this world with a collection of fears and they are not fears that you learned from your father? Have you been navigating life with some fears that you can't get rid of and they are not fears that your God taught you? I love the way it says in Romans chapter 8, Verses 14 through 17. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Can we just say that together? If you want more courage from the Father, I just want you to say, Abba, Father. Let's say it together. Abba, Father. All right, I think you got another tick in volume. Let's say it one more time. Abba, Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also might share in his glory. Now, I'm supposed to be a communicator this weekend, but I was a worship leader here. I just want to ask you, and this is a little different, if you would just be willing to praise God for a second with applause for the glory that we await in Christ, for the glory that we hope for that is not ours, but his. He calls us into sonship. He calls us to be co-heirs with Christ. You see, the presence of a strong father instills courage. The love of a good father declares belonging. And we don't often see both of those in people. We don't often see people who embody both courage and belonging. We don't often see people who have the luxury of both a present and a loving father. But I think when we see that, the gift that we see that goes to the world then is courageous children who walk with identity and never fear tomorrow. Courageous children who walk with identity and never fear tomorrow. The fear of tomorrow, I think we could sum down to just one word, anxiety. I don't need to give anyone statistics on the effects society has had, uh, anxiety has had on our society because it's been detrimental. Whether it's cycles of depression when it comes to anxiety, and maybe it's the feeling of resentment that swells up in someone when they think about tomorrow, or maybe it's just the fact that you can never rest. How many of you know that your body cannot rest if your mind cannot rest? Would you just raise your hand if you've seen that to be true? Your body cannot rest if your mind cannot rest. And so what would the church look like if we were able to break the chains of anxiety? I think we would see abounding joy. I think we would see a smile when we think about tomorrow. I think we would find holy and abiding rest. And so if we want to break the chains of anxiety, the first thing I want to suggest to you today is that our confidence in the Father leads us to pursue righteousness. And a righteous life speaks beyond the grave. <clears throat> Perhaps the greatest tomorrow that we fear is the tomorrow of death tomorrow of the grave, the tomorrow of what happens when I close my eyes to rest finally, and I'm not waking up again, but I'm approaching the day of judgment in the, in the gates of heaven. It reminds me of a, a story that I love. It's a funny story. You might have heard it, a story of Forrest Gump. Anybody know the movie Forrest Gump? Grow up watching that? Yeah, Forrest, he goes to the, the gates of heaven, and he has a conversation with Peter, and Peter says, Forrest, I have three questions for you. If you can answer these three questions, then you can enter into heaven. The first question is, tell me the two days of the week that start with the letter T. So Forrest thinks for a second, kind of an unusually long pause, and then Forrest says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Today and tomorrow. Peter smirks a little bit and says, uh, that's not the answer I was thinking of, but sure, that'll work. Um, I guess that works fine. Okay, second question. How many seconds are there in a year? This time, obviously, Forrest pauses a little longer, kind of stares off with a blank stare. He says, oh, I got, okay, I got it. Twelve seconds. 
Peter's like, that's been 12 seconds since I asked you that question. What, how do you get 12 seconds in a year for us? He says, well, January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd. Okay. So, okay, fine. Third question. Forrest, what is God's first name? And Forrest steps back and goes, now that's the easiest one of all of them. It's Andy. Andy. Peter says, now Forrest, how in the world do you get the name Andy? And he goes, easy, I know it from the song. Andy walks with me, Andy talks. <laughs> we are not meant to fear the day of judgment. I love um, in the Gospel of John, we see that if we... Now, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go back to our first text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. It says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Later, in, the, in chapter 4 of 1 John, he points out that if we acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God, if we live in love, and by doing so, live in God, then we know that, our, that we are made complete in love and we have confidence on the day of judgment. And I want to read specifically from verse 17. It says, in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, God doesn't want you to navigate this life thinking about judgment day and thinking when I get before God, that all I'm going to be thinking about is the punishment that must be coming to me. But he wants you to be made perfect in love. And a part of that process of being made perfect in love is the pursuit of righteousness. Because God wants you to live a life of love. He wants you to live a life of worship. And I think he wants you to live a life of offering. I think of two sons that we see at the beginning of, of our Bible. The sons Cain and Abel. And when you think of Cain and Abel, I love how Hebrews narrates that Abel uh, was commended as righteous before God because he gave a better offering than his brother did. And I'm just going to paraphrase the story to you. Cain was a, he watched over the crops. You could kind of think of him as a farmer. While Abel was a shepherd and he watched over the flocks of the, of the sheep. And it says they both bring an offering to God. But I love how the Bible specifically says over the course of time, Cain brings an offering from his crops. While his brother Abel... He brings the very first, the choice fats from his flock and brings them as an offering to God. And his was commended as better. You see, I think for some of us, when we think about worship, I wonder if we look like this. If we look like we, we show up in the house of God, maybe you show up in your personal devotional time. And, and we kind of look this way. God, I, I'm here. I made it here. W what do you have for me today? God, I, God, I'm here. I, you know, I, I made it. I, I got my five minutes here. God, what do you got for me today? Whereas I feel like when we look at the life of Abel, we see something a little bit different that I see in his spirit, which is to say, God, I am here, holy and reverent God. But b before I ask anything of you, here's the offering that I'm bringing. Here is my offering of worship. God, before I ask anything of you, here is my offering in worship. I want to encourage us this morning, church, we can't be quick to the gift of grace, but slow to the call of righteousness. The world needs to see something different than us. The world needs to see a different way of living, and a part of us being made perfect in God's love is the pursuit of righteousness. So if righteousness speaks to the way in which we live, then what speaks to the who of whose we are? For us to see this clearly, I think we have to know that sonship is not natural, but supernatural. 
And those called witnessed the wisdom and power of God. Continuing in our first John text in chapter three, verse one, it says, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Would you look at somebody next to you, maybe with like a little bit of attitude in your voice, say, the world don't know you? world don't know you? Yeah. (laughs) Within all of us is the desire to be loved. And within all of us is the the desire to be known. The desire to be loved and the, the desire to be known. It amazes me how, just speaking specifically here in our American Western church culture, that so many people are probably familiar with the verse of John 3.16 that have never even stepped into a church building, right? For God so loved the world that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have... See, we're familiar. God's love has been made very clear. The invitation to God's love is a very big invitation, a very clear invitation through his son. But the availability of love does not directly imply that someone feels known. And the availability of love doesn't directly imply that someone feels seen. And that's difficult in relationship because when it comes to being known and being seen in relationship, that's a two-way street, right? To be known, you have to be vulnerable. To be known, you have to be accountable. And we can assume that God isn't in error in this effort when it comes to relationship because God is all-knowing, right? He even knows the number of hairs on your head. God is completely truthful, so he's not going to be lacking in accountability. But people in relationship can be in error when it comes to being vulnerable and being accountable because people choose what they want to see, right? Have you been in a relationship and you feel like that person just doesn't see me or that person just doesn't see the effort that I've put in or that person just doesn't see the motivation behind what I'm trying to do because people choose what they want to see and what they choose to see determines what their treasure is. And so it makes sense that the world can't validate us in relationship because the world isn't called to validate us in relationship. God validates us in relationship. But because people's relationships aren't strong, people cannot teach us how to see the Father either. We can't look to the world to teach us how to see the Father. I, want to, I love the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This text doesn't look all dissimilar to me to what we see in society today. I mean, have you ever known people who would say, maybe even some of us who would say, well, if I could just see a miracle, you know, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just see it done, I could be on board with this God thing. Or people who say, well, I I, want to follow what the Bible says, but there's a lot of modern thought out there. There's new philosophies. There's all these trends. It just doesn't really line up with my modern philosophy, so I don't know if I can get on board. And it's not too dissimilar from these Jews and Greeks who say, I want to see a sign I want to see wisdom, but God was pleased to reveal himself in Christ crucified. That is how we see our father. That is how we find strength. So we must be careful what eyes we use then to see the world and what eyes we use to see the father. I love the gospel of John chapter one, verse 12 through 13 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Sonship is not natural, but supernatural. I want to invite all of our young ones to participate in just like a little bit of Bible trivia, just real fast. I'm going to say two names, and then I want you all to say the third name, okay? So everyone in grade school or younger, adults, we can't participate. We're going to just let the kids shout it out. So I'm going to give you two names, and then kids, you give me the third name. Here we go. Abraham, Isaac, and Oh, I heard somebody say it over here. All right, adults, let's help them out. Adults, help them out. Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. One more time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The answer that you gave was completely correct. The answer that you gave was also completely unnatural. What I mean by that is if we were speaking in terms of tradition and natural descent, we would have said Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. I want to tell you about two more sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins born to Isaac. And by by nature of tradition and blessing, Esau should have been the one to carry the blessing of God. And similar to the story of Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau had tendencies. Esau was a hunter. So Esau would go off and hunt choice game. And his dad loved the choice game. He loved the choice game that his son hunted. Jacob, however, Scripture narrates, he was content to stay in the tents. And he even was a good cook, good at preparing meals. And so Esau comes home one day. He's been out hunting, and he's tired. He's famished. He's maybe even to the point of death. And he says, Jacob, Jacob, cook me up a meal. I'm about to die. And Jacob says, okay, I'll cook you a meal, but you need to sell me your birthright first. And Esau says, what good is my birthright to me if I'm going to die? It's yours. And so Jacob cooks him the meal, and the exchange happens. See, I wonder today if, um, if we look at the story of Esau, what I see is Esau in his life and with his life said, it is better for me to go on living than to hang on to the blessing of God. I think we need to see a generation rise up in the church that says, no, I can't go on living unless I take hold of the blessing of God. I can't go on living unless I, you know, when Jacob and Esau were born, they were twins and Jacob was hanging on to the heel of his brother Esau. Church, we got to be a generation now that says, I can't go on living unless I'm taking hold of the blessing of God. I believe we can be that because when we earnestly seek the blessing of God, we will be courageous children who walk with identity and never fear tomorrow. We'll be confident from a walk of righteousness Identity that comes from sonship and blessing. And that brings us to the end of our text today. Chapter 3, verses 2 through 3 of 1 John, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The last thing I want to suggest to you today, church, is that the Father's children wait with hope. And it is a hope that anchors the soul. This is a theme theme that we see show up in Scripture continuously, this idea that God's children have not fully seen what they will be. I love the way the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 gives you all these Bible heroes. And yet it says not all of these received what had been promised, but they saw it at a distance and welcomed it from a distance. 
And even better, I love at the end of chapter 11, it says, because God had something better in store so that together with us, they would be made perfect. Let that just blow your mind because that's a sermon for another time. That when you read all these, hero, all these Bible heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that together with us, they will be made perfect. There is a theme for us of we have not fully seen what we will be, but yet we wait with hope. We wait with hope, and it is a hope that anchors the soul. And I love that verse 3. It says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. There might be some in here today that say, okay, I, you know, I, I'll admit, I need to get my act straightened up. You know, righteousness is something I, sh- I should pursue. Okay, I'm on board. Some of you would say, yeah, I haven't found identity in the right place. So I'm good with identity. But when you think of purity... You think, okay, now you don't know my past. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. And if Jesus is going to save me, it's going to take a lot of saving. It's going to take a lot of saving. We do this cool thing uh, here at the Hills. Um, It's not a new thing that we do here at the Hills, but it's something that we enjoy doing. It's called preaching good theology. It's something we do here. Uh, Any given weekend at our church, not only on Easter, but most weekends, whether it's in our singing or our communion thought or the preaching from the pulpit, which, by the way, I'm just so thankful for Rick Ashley and Taylor Walling. If you're thankful, would you just, they may not hear it, I don't know, but I'm so thankful for what they do. See, we preach good theology here, and we preach that Christ, because of the will of the Father, went to the cross and gave his life up as an offering and atonement for sin. We preach that Christ went to the grave and went to the tomb and he stayed there for three days. And then we preach that three days later, three days later that the stone was rolled away and that he was resurrected, right? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Right? We preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to today give you a little bit of ice cream to go with your peach cobbler of theology. Because yes, you need the miracle of resurrection, but you need more than the miracle of resurrection. You need a permanent priest. You need someone who enters the heavenly place by his own blood and lives forever. I'm going to read it right here from Hebrews chapter 7, 24 through 25. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You need more than the miracle of just resurrection. You need a permanent priest. And that is who Jesus is. That is the reason you can be purified. But still waiting isn't easy. For children, waiting is not easy. It's never easy for us as kids to wait. And so good thing the Father teaches us how to wait. Two more sons that Jesus talked about in a parable. He tells the story of an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes up to his dad one day and says, Dad, give me my inheritance, which a lot of Bible commentators will say, for this son to ask for his inheritance before the death of his father is as if to say, God, as if to say, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. He takes his inheritance, and some of you know the story. He goes and spoils it in wild living. And then eventually he longs because a famine has come upon the land. He longs to even fill his stomach with the food that the pigs are eating. And he says, comes to his senses and says, what is, what am I doing? My father's servants have plenty to spare. And here I am wishing I could eat from the pig's food. 
And so he makes his way back home. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll go back and ask my dad to hire me. And he heads back home. Church, after everything we've talked about today, I hope the words of this parable ring deeper than they ever have for you before because it says, while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him. While he was still a long ways off, the father saw him. While he was still a long ways off tells me that the father is probably looking for him. And even if it's just one person in here today, I want to ask you, church, there might be some of you who thought, you know, I want this thing, but I don't think the father's looking for me. I want to challenge you and I want to speak against the enemy in your life and say the father is looking for you. The father is looking for you and he has a love that is rich. He has a love that is big. And so I want to invite you just at the end of this message, if you have felt that in your heart that the father has not been looking for you, then we want to invite you to prayer this morning. I want to ask our prayer team if they would make their way to the front and even our praise team if they would make their way up. The Father is looking for you. I want to read something declaratively over you as we close this morning. Would you stand this morning as we enter into a time of response and prayer? In light of everything that you've heard in the message, I want to read from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And would you just receive this this morning? Because again, I think there's some of us in here who would go, yeah, I want to turn to righteousness. I want to pursue righteousness in my life. Yes, I want a greater sense of identity. And even I want to be purified, and I believe it's possible, but you thought, I'm not coming because I'm not convinced that the Father is thinking about me, that he's looking for me. Church, you can be close without being close. You can be near but not be open. You can be humble but still be scared. And I want you to know the Father's looking for you. And we're going to read from Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go right into worship after this because I want you to hear this with new eyes this morning. It says, And now we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know if the church heard me read that. I'm gonna read that again. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And church, we got to get we got to get ready to praise on this one. Now in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers 
neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot be separated. The love of God you cannot be separated from. Would you worship this morning as we sing?